This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c I didn't want to continue that pattern or that cycle with the next generation, right? As parents, we have to do better for our children than the previous generation. And so that's why I made it a point to really acknowledge all these things, lay them out there right in the open. Be like, you know what? This is going to stop here. I'm not going to continue this toxic pattern of behavior or, Mm -hmm. or commentary as we parent Brian. Welcome back to the Pete's Doc Talk podcast. I am so excited for you to join me on this episode where I am going to have my husband on once again to talk about how we are reparenting ourselves while we parent our son, Ryan. And if you have not already, you have to listen to episode 122, where we talk about marriage and life and so many of the things that we talk about on our own, but we wanted to share with you on this podcast. Before we get to the conversation, I want to read two reviews from Apple Podcasts. That means so much to me. And remember, please leave your reviews because it means so much for this podcast to grow and also just to get your feedback. The first review, I have never left a review for anything before, but I just had to express my gratitude for this episode I just listened to. The Finding Joy episode 122 was so spot on. As a household with two physicians and being first-time parents at the start of the pandemic, there was so much you both talked about that resonated with me. Thank you so much for what you're doing. I am just so in love with that episode and all of the Finding Joy episodes and so much more. That's why I brought my husband on again because I just love sharing this with you. And thank you so much for that kind review. The other one, gold. I found this podcast when I needed to hear it the most, more specifically the When Life Keeps Handing You Lemons episode. So relatable and healing to hear that I'm not alone during one of the hardest times in my life. Thank you. That is what this podcast is all about. My hope is to motivate you, empower you, make you feel less alone in the journey as a parent. If you're a mom, it's so important to me that we grow alongside our children. So I'm going to continue to give you educational advice on parenting, health, and development, but also this motivational material that you're going to hear on this episode with my husband. Hey, Gora, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back. (laughs) Of course. So, you know, we recorded an episode already together, episode 122. So I mentioned that if you have not listened to that episode already, everyone, you have to listen to that one. I have to say that that was probably my most reviewed and rated podcast episode. And I think you saw that too, right? Like on Apple Podcasts, everyone just really loved what we talked about, just hearing your perspective as a father. So thank you for coming back on again. I know I'm kind of, you know, you're, you're my husband and you're doing this for me, but I think it helps so many of our listeners. So thanks for being here. 
Yeah, I'm glad that, uh, you know, your people and my people, we could uh, come up with another time <laughs> to do this all over again. Yeah. And so we chose to talk about parenting um, on this episode. Our last episode, we talked about marriage. And of course, I think we could do many episodes about relationships and, you know, relationships with each other, ourselves, our relationship with our son. But this one is really important to me and you, which is how we both are reparenting ourselves as we navigate parenthood, which I think is something that I believe a lot of parents don't think about a lot of, you know, how important it is to do this um, work, I would say. And I think you agree as well. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And it's something that I think you and I have both had to train ourselves and learn for ourselves going through this parenting process uh, about some of the pitfalls and, and some of the things that we were bringing to the table as we've gone into adulthood and how we had to relearn certain behaviors and certain things so that we could help our son thrive as best as he could. And I think when people hear the term reparenting, an automatic assumption is that there was stuff that was not done well. And I think me and you can both agree that there are things that we look back at our childhood and say, yeah, this was really great. And I love this. I want to take this from my childhood and implement it as a parent. But then there's also those things that just didn't really work well. And you don't realize it until you become an adult. And sometimes you don't even realize it until you're a parent and you're staring your child in the face and you're like, wait, this is taking me back to when I was a kid. So like I said, I just think that this work is so important and which is why I'm happy that we're talking about it. I'm sure I'll have another guest on to talk about it as well, but it just means so much that we who are parenting our two and a half year old at the time of this recording can just share our perspective on the things that work that didn't work and how we really have to kind of watch our insecurities, if you will, as we parent our son, Ryan. Yeah, and I think that what's so great about this episode and doing this is that you and I do this on a pretty routine basis where we, mm-hmm. we kind of talk about some of the things and the ways that you and I both grew up and we talk about what kind of different homes that we've both grown up in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've discussed some of the great things that our parents did for us and a lot of the not so great things that still carry on into this day. And we're always trying to catch ourselves and be like, hmm, yeah, this was done back in the day, but it doesn't really relate right now. And it's not serving our son very well right now. So being able to acknowledge those things, recognize them, and then turn around and reparent yourself so that you can be the best parent for your child is super important. Because like you said, I think that there's the good and the bad. And, you know, I think that everyone's parents were doing the best that they could with the information they had at the time. And you know, they had different stressors and things of that nature. So we all as new parents have to evolve and learn new things moving forward. So yeah, I'm really excited about this conversation. And I think, you know, one of the first things that I look back at my childhood is anger and yelling. You know, that was actually something that was in my house. Um, I will say that obviously when we talk about this, there was a lot of love, a lot of laughter, but there was yelling. Um, and I, you know, had a dad who yelled and he's now worked on that a little bit, not as much as I think we all would hope our parents would change. But, you know, I remember that I had to look at myself and say, I don't like being angry. I don't like yelling. And I think you can agree. Like when we first met, which was like almost 10 years ago now, wow, I can't believe I just said that 10 years ago, but I was a happy person, but I still yelled. I still had anger in me when I didn't get my way. And 
after meeting you. And also when we moved down to Florida about six years ago and we had Shiloh, that is when I really realized that this isn't going to work when I become a parent, like this anger and this yelling and, you know, stomping my feet when I don't get my way or slamming doors. I mean, I'm being very, very honest right now in saying that that's who I used to be. And it didn't make you feel good. Didn't make me feel good. And I started doing that work even before Ryan, would you say that, you know, the things that we're going to talk about, do you think that you started doing this work before you had Ryan, or do you think that becoming a parent is what made you change even more? Was it a little bit of both? I definitely think that becoming a parent was really the catalyst Mm -hmm. for me to really reflect and look back at the way I was parented and really take, you know, inventory of all of those things and really reflect and be like, okay, there are certain things that I still hold on to, to this day that really bother me about the way my parents went about things. And I just made it a priority to not let myself fall into that same trap and do those Mm -hmm. same things to our son as he's going through his most formative years of growth. Right. And you talk about, you know, you grew up in a household where it was lots of laughter, but there was also a lot of yelling. Well, you know, I grew up in a household where I was constantly commented on about my weight. And for, you know, those of the listeners out there that don't know, I'm, you know, six feet, two inches tall, and I'm a lean 155 pounds, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been thin my entire life. And ever since I was, I can remember, I was just kind of tall and slender. And till this day, I still... Uh, I'm teased about it from my parents and whatnot. And those mm-hmm. kind of passive comments that you don't think cause much harm, looking back, you can mm-hmm. see the amount of damage they've caused. And you know, from the issues that I have with my body image and all that mm-hmm. stuff, that it's caused a significant amount of harm. And I didn't want to continue that pattern or that cycle with the next generation, right? As parents, mm-hmm. we have to do better for our children than the previous generation. And so that's why I made it a point to really acknowledge all of these things, lay them out there right in the open and be like, you know what, this is going to stop here. I'm not going to continue this toxic pattern of behavior or, mm-hmm. or commentary as we parent Ryan. Um, and it takes a lot of internal work. And that whole body image commentary, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for sharing it because I know me and you have talked about it a lot. And it was something that even before we had Ryan, um, even when I found out that we were going to have a boy, you know, I said, look, he's going to follow our type. He's going to follow that lean, tall type. And we talked about that, the importance of understanding what was done to you as a child, the commentary that was done and how that can impact how you view Ryan when he is that lean child, because he's going to be lean, right? Our genetics are not a big kid, you know, and that's okay. And so I appreciate you saying this because I think a lot of times people only talk about children who are on the higher percentiles when body image is affects everybody, right? It affects, I don't care what percentile quote unquote you're on, how we talk or even just talking about weight in general and the way we approach it is just such a problem with parenting. It's actually one of the biggest things that I talk about on my platform. You know that, that I always talk about how we don't need to be commenting on children's weight, whatever percentile they're on, it doesn't really matter. And that's not their worth. Can you kind of see how that can affect your relationship with Ryan? Like, do you ever worry about him and his weight? Like, do you get worried about if he's going to get teased? Are you feeling like a little more extra protective over him because of what happened to you as a child? And even now, to be honest? Well, I think that he will get teased. You know, Mm -hmm. you and I are both tall and lean and he's going to be, he's already tall and very lean. 
Yeah. And so I know that the comments will come and there will be people at school that will tease him. But what I also know is that if we do what we're supposed to and we do it the right way, Mm -hmm. he will know that he is okay just the way he is, no matter what his body type is. And that's what I didn't have growing up, right? I had a mom who constantly commented on my weight, who constantly told me to eat more, that I needed to gain 10 more pounds, that I looked too skinny or those kinds of things. And she still says it to this day. (laughs) And even as a 39-year-old adult who's a, a father, those words... I mean, they don't hurt as much as they used to, but they still kind of sting, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you realize that those comments that were made when I was maybe five, six, seven years old have really shaped a good majority of my life. And I've always been self-conscious of my body. I've always tried to cover up. I was always ashamed of taking my shirt off or putting shorts on and those kinds of things, because I was never taught to just love myself for who I was. Mm -hmm. I was always told that I needed to be like somebody else. I needed to be bigger like somebody else, or I needed to eat more like somebody else. And that kind of like toxic parenting that now looking back 39 years later, I'm like, wow, if I had a parent who empowered Mm -hmm. me to love myself for who I was, who knows what the possibilities would have been. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just 2 minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno lime cheddar chicken and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Yeah. And so that's what I'm really trying to focus in on Ryan. Like I know Ryan is going to be extremely tall and I know he's going to be on the thinner side. That's genetics. And that's not something he's going to have control over. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't have control over it, why does anyone have the right to comment on it? Correct. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, 
I'm so keen on that, especially the weight thing, because for me, it was such a lightning rod growing up. I was always the person that stuck out in the middle of the room for being the tallest person. And when you're tall and thin, you kind of stick out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And it was always a point of contention for me. And so when you're going back to your original question, I do take it a little bit personally in that regards, because I want Ryan to understand that, yes, he's going to look different than everybody else, more than likely, just like every other child looks different than everyone else. Right. But I'm not going to let my own insecurities that I still carry to this day project onto him so that he has to deal with the similar things that I had to deal with. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell him, hey, People may say things, they may make comments, you may be teased at school, that's okay. When you walk into this house, you are perfect just the way you are, however way God made you. And that's yeah. that's going to be an emphasis point for us, and it already is. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, how we approach food is a huge thing in our home, right? Because we know how this goes when both of our sets of parents are in the house. It's a culturally ingrained. It's also, regardless of culture, it's a lot of the older generations. I'm sure everyone listening can agree that, you know, you must eat. You have to finish your plate. If you don't eat, you know, you're going to lose weight. You must not be happy if you're so thin. But then it's such a wild thing that it's like, if you're too thin, then it's a problem. But if you're too overweight, or way more, it's a problem. Like what is going to be the gold standard? Like what is perfect to this generation, right? That came before us. It's so stressful actually. And then the approach of food, like, oh, we need to give him butter and this and that. And I'm like, he doesn't need all of that. You know, he's, like I said, he's growing on his curve. He's growing as he should. And I just so appreciate you bringing that up. And also I appreciate you bringing this up as a male because females tend to talk more about the body image issues, right? Females tend to be more verbal about it, but males also go through it. And you even just speaking about it on this podcast for all of my listeners means so much to me. And I'm sure everyone listening, because it is a reality still in 2022, at the time of this recording, women are supposed to be thin and men are supposed to be bodybuilders. I mean, this is the stupid stereotypes that exist about the female body and the male body because of magazines and social media. But the reality is, like you said, we all come in different bodies. And yes, this is a huge thing that comes from childhood. The way we approach food, the way we approach body image, it sticks. And it's why I'm so passionate about this on my platform, talking about how we need to change this and reparent ourselves, like you said, and tell our children that you're going to be fine. You're in this home. You're loved. You're worthy. Like everything that you just said so beautifully. Is there anything else besides the body image? Like something that you're like, okay, this needs to change. Uh, you know, it wasn't working well in my childhood. We got to do this better for Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people, a lot of your listeners can probably relate to the comparison trap. Mm -hmm. I know that as a child, I was constantly compared to not only my sibling, my older brother, but I was compared to my peers and my schoolmates in terms of academics and just social standing. You know, I'm naturally a more of an introverted person and I still to this day remember my mom constantly telling me to speak more and to talk to more people mm -hmm. and to be more outgoing, be like your brother and be like other people. And I'm just looking back at how traumatizing all of that stuff was because all it kept saying was it was coming back to one unified statement. It's that you are not okay who you are. You need mm -hmm. to change it. You need to be someone else. So yeah, the comparison thing was huge. It was a constant in our community. And I think in our culture, it's more pervasive than probably in some other cultures. 
but it's such an easy trap for people to fall into because yeah, we naturally compare ourselves to those around us. But when that comparison starts to become a toxic form of comparison and it makes you question yourself in terms of why you're not living up to a certain standard or why you're not living up to someone else's ideals and expectations, that's when it becomes harmful and toxic. And I carried a lot of that with me for decades. It took me you know, having a child and becoming a father for myself to really reflect and do that work on my own so that I could be comfortable with myself. So then I don't have to teach Ryan anything. He will just see it from my own actions, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. He will, he, he will know that, oh, my dad is confident in who he is. He loves himself. Therefore, I'm going to try to emulate that because kids will naturally emulate what their parents do and say. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to sit down and have a talk with him. I just need to show him with my actions. And for me to be able to do those actions required a lot of, you know, inner work and therapy and all of those things. So I think that's where parents really have to stop and take a look at themselves and be like, what am I still holding on to that's not yeah. serving me anymore? And once it's not serving me anymore, it's not going to serve my child. And so I need to do the work to heal me before I can pass those things onto my child. Right. And I mean, with talking about comparison, I think we don't realize it until we get a little bit older. As a child, your reality is that, right? You don't know anything different. You don't know that there is a life that you're not being compared to your peers and your siblings all the time, right? And then you go out in the real world and you're like, oh, well, like I just get to be me. And you kind of lose your identity when your whole childhood is based on a comparison against someone else. Like you said, like your siblings, your cousins, you're this person, this person. And that really causes us to lose our identity. And something that's really important for me is absolutely teaching Ryan that he has worth and his identity is important and he is going to be great at some things. He may not be great at everything. Obviously, this is human nature. We're not perfect human beings and there's growth, right? I mean, both of us can agree that we're teaching Ryan and raising him with this growth mindset, not a fixed mindset that you are capable of learning and that you're capable of growing and that life is a lifelong learning process. You don't just know something and then it's done. You really have to grow with it. And that's really hard to undo. I agree. I also dealt with the comparison, but I did create a little bit more of an identity earlier on when I went to college and also in high school, because I was in a lot of different activities that wasn't stuff that my sibling did or other people did. I really did track and no one I knew did track. Like there were things that I did that was for me and that really did help. And I really think that that's such an important thing kind of along the lines of comparison. You know, I already mentioned like the anger yelling thing that I had to work on is being okay with failure. I don't know if this happened for you, but like for me growing up, like, especially with immigrant parents that were like, Hey, this is how we're going to do things. You have to be successful. You know, grades are extremely important. Yes. I think there is a great thing about the work ethic that they put into us that we have to work really hard, but there was more of an emphasis on the result rather than the process, right? That you have to get the A's, that you have to get the top of the list. You have to go to the great college. Those things were so much more valued than the ethic, the work process, the effort that we put into it. And so when I didn't get straight A's or when I went to college at UCLA and I got my first ever C and I cried in the courtyard and just couldn't handle it and thought that my life as a doctor would be over because I got a C. I didn't learn coping skills with failure until 
freshman year of college. And I think a lot of people can say this, like a lot of people who are very high achieving, you know, went to like these big schools or went to these big colleges, they can say that they did everything, right? They got the A's, they did all the clubs, they failure wasn't an option sometimes, or they never were taught how to fail and how it's okay to fail. And it was that it was subsequent failures that I had. And I like saying it, I'm okay with saying that I failed some exams or I failed certain situations, or maybe some relationships didn't work out, right? Nothing is going to be perfect. And that's something that I really want Ryan to grow up with too, is that failure is going to happen. Do we want to drive towards failure? No, but failure is going to happen. It is sometimes an option because that's what kind of has to happen in life. And you are going to grow from this failure. This is not going to define you. We are going to figure out what can we do better next time? Is this something that we need to pivot and change? And that is something that's so important to me because I didn't gain that on my own until college and beyond, you know, medical school. And you've been with me for 10 years getting denied jobs. And even then I would feel like a failure, right? Like, oh my God, the doors are closing. And now I have this perspective that when a door closes, another bigger one is going to open. I just have to wait for it. And that's perspective I think we can gain with age. But I believe that we can teach our children this too, that, hey, I get it that we didn't get picked to be on this team or you know, you didn't get an A this time. I see that you worked really hard. What can we do next time for you? How can I help or what can you do differently? And that growth mindset is so important to me. And I think that's something that I dealt with. And I'm curious, I'm sure you did with us to some degree because Indian families are very similar. Um, But I'm just curious what you think about that too. Becoming a new mom does not come with a manual, but I'm trying to get as close to it as possible. Are you expecting a baby or know somebody who is? Make sure to grab my first year course, The New Mom Survival Guide. The on-demand course contains modules covering parenting in the first year, newborn feeding like breast and formula feeding, newborn sleep and infant sleep, introduction of solids, safety, baby care how-tos, developmental milestones, teething, and so much more. With videos and printables, you will feel supported through the first year. The course also has a roadmap that takes you through what to expect visit by visit so you can feel more confident and calm in the choices that you make and the stages that you'll go through during your baby's first year. By purchasing, you also get access to our Facebook community to troubleshoot issues or concerns. It also makes a great gift that can support a new mom through her motherhood journey. Check out the New Mom Survival Guide by visiting pedsdoctalk.com and searching our popular courses. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Yeah, I mean, definitely I've dealt with similar situations. And I just want to also just reiterate to everyone listening that you and I don't have this down to a perfect science, right? 
right. like this is still a constant work in progress for us you still have moments where you yell and you kind of lose your cool and you stomp off a couple of times here or there i still tend to freak out about ryan's weight or my own mm -hmm. weight or make a comment about food these are all things that are currently works in progress 100 having conversations about them and holding each other accountable is how we continue to grow and learn from those previous pitfalls and mistakes and move forward right and so it's very difficult to implement when you've developed these behavior patterns over decades right these are things that were ingrained in us when we were six seven eight nine years old and they've been with us throughout both of our careers right we've both followed this path where you were constantly expected to shine and outwork mm -hmm. others and your grades were first and foremost and getting into top schools and getting into medical school and residency it's just this constant hyper focus on competitiveness yeah. and outdoing another person and there was never any room for any failure right but failure like you said is a part of life and we're at some point in our lives we we resisted failure i think mm -hmm. you and i would both agree that right now we as adults we welcome failure because mm -hmm. we welcome it yeah. because we know that we're going to learn something from it that it's not going to crush us anymore it's not going to mean that the world is coming to an end or we don't cease to exist or anything we're mm -hmm. going to gain a valuable lesson from it and we're going to grow from it and that's amazing for ryan to see because like you said ryan may not be picked first for the softball team or the kickball team or he may be picked last to play basketball but my hope is that he'll be picked first if i have <laughs> but you know he may be let go from certain things or he may you know maybe scholastics isn't his isn't his gift or whatever mm -hmm. it may be our job is to recognize his gifts and try to promote those, but at the same time, recognizing that, you know what, he's just another human being going through this process mm -hmm. and he's going to have hiccups just like we did. And that's okay. But we as parents have to let go of that expectation that we have. We have to let go of the comparison trap amongst our friends or family, our neighbors, other families in our kids' schools or whatnot. Yeah. This is so pervasive in our society today. And now you throw in social media where we have a bird's eye view into everyone's pretend quote unquote life. Then we're just constantly in this game of trying to outshine others. And what we're losing is we're losing, like you said, our identity and who we are. And we're losing our self-worth at the same time. So as parents out there, to everyone who's listening, who are parents or who are soon to be parents, you know, this is the time for real reflection, to look at yourselves in the mirror and be like, okay, I want to take some things that my mother or dad did. Maybe we had dinner every Sunday together as a family, or we went to the park every Saturday morning and it was the greatest thing. Then you want to continue those traditions and you should, those things are awesome. Yeah. But there might be some toxic behaviors in there that weren't so awesome. And it's our job to kind of recognize those things and to heal those things in ourselves first so that we don't like i said previously pass those things on unknowingly to our children and, and continue the cycle yeah and i think a lot of it is being vulnerable and admitting that there is a reality here right like you talking about this and saying hey this didn't work or it did work is 
I think part of humility and vulnerability, which I think are two very important qualities for any human being to say, Hey, I'm okay with not being a know-it-all or perfect. And I'm okay with being vulnerable. And especially with our families, you know, and I, I keep going back to Indian Americans because we both are Indian Americans. And I know again, that people listening who are not Indian American can relate to this, but the the lack of being able to be vulnerable. I mean, even now, right. We're in our thirties. And if I'm sad or upset about something, like even after Ryan's delivery, I was so upset. Right. I mean, we both were and being told, okay, don't cry. It's not a big deal. You have to be strong. I mean, it's all well-meaning because it's very common for people to say these things, but there wasn't ever room for just understanding emotion and allowing vulnerability to be able to then move through the process and heal, right? That's such an important thing. And even now when Ryan cries, right? With how he disciplined when I was young, don't cry, stop crying, stop crying. Right. I mean, a lot of people can relate to this even now, like you see when Ryan cries, literally I I sit down on the ground and I'm like, do you need me to give you a hug? Do you need a moment? And he calms down. Right. And I really want Ryan to grow up with this feeling that, Hey, you can have feelings. It's okay to have the feelings. Obviously, you're not allowed to stomp your feet and throw things and all of that. We need to remedy that. But if you're having a feeling right now, I'm here for you. And obviously, as he gets older, he'll learn coping skills. But as a toddler, allowing him to just feel his feelings and being vulnerable is such an important thing that I didn't have growing up, right? Don't cry. Stop crying. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Stop, stop, stop. Even now, you know, we FaceTime with our parents. Like when Ryan starts to cry, you can sense visible uncomfortability in the grandparents that no one likes to be around a crying child, but sometimes they are going to be sad and we're there as parents to help guide them through it. And we're there to help coach them through their feelings. And with time, when they understand that the emotion's okay, but that the actions have to be also up to par, right? You can't just be throwing and kicking things like we said, but that is such an important thing for me too, that I really want to change. And I think we're doing a great job with Ryan. Like I Whenever he has those moments, you know, whether I'm alone with him or you're with me or you're alone with him, I think we're on the same page about that, that, Hey, yeah, you can be upset right now. That's okay. But you know, we can't do this. We can't do that. And there's a lot of comfort in the feelings, which I think is very valuable as a parent for a child, especially a toddler who is learning what his feelings mean, you know, to be shut down and said, stop crying, stop crying and yelling and all that. Like it doesn't help. And I see it in Ryan's behavior that it really works to just connect emotionally and say, Hey, I got you. Like even recording this with potty training, like at the time of this recording, we potty trained Ryan and he was very resistant to some things, right? He didn't want to poop on the potty. And literally I just sat there with him and said, I see that it's something new for you. This is something really hard for you. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to not like it versus come on, it's a potty sit on it. Right? Like these vulnerable moments and just connecting with the kids it just really helps. And I know it's going to really help Ryan as he grows up. Yeah. And to just, you know, piggyback on your point, and I'm going to use your example um, where your parents would kind of just say, stop crying, stop crying. Don't show your feelings. What that really means and translates into is that the parent is feeling insecure with their own feelings. Mm -hmm. They think that showing emotion is a sign of weakness, right? Yeah. In themselves. And so they believe that crying is a sign of weakness for themselves. And so what they're doing is they're projecting it onto their child, being like, oh, if the child is crying, then either the child is weak or I did something wrong and I don't want to be the bad parent. So let me just cave and do whatever I can to get the child to stop crying. 
And I think that's a, a lot of what we grew up with, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you said, our parents who are now grandparents, when they see their grandkids cry, they'll go out and buy them anything. They'll give them anything that they want in the fridge. They will mm-hmm. buy them whatever toy they want, right? And where does that come from? That comes from the sense that I think they think that when a child is crying or upset, that they, as an adult, did something wrong. Right. Or they're just uncomfortable with the negative emotions. Right. And that is what we have to fight. And that's what we have to retrain is that if your child is crying, that doesn't mean you did something bad or you're not a great parent. Quite the opposite. It's just that your child is growing and going through things just like we all are. Mm-hmm. And learning about his or her environment and learning about boundaries and what is allowed and what is not allowed. These are just growing pains. Mm-hmm. And so we should try our hardest to just welcome those and ride them like the tide as they come in and out and not try to resist them. And I think that when you are resistant to those emotions, it's because there's a resistance in yourself with those emotions. And that's why I keep going back to doing the work internally as an adult within yourself and healing those wounds in you will allow you to then prevent those from being passed on to that next generation. Agree completely. And I mean, you know, the things that we talked about, the body image, comparison, the yelling, the failure is okay. You know, the vulnerability, these are all just such important things that I'm just so glad that we could talk about. And I, I think one of the biggest things, and we've spoken about this is when you're going through this, right. You're, we're talking about taking our childhood, looking at the good, looking at the not so great. I know a lot of people can hold resentment towards parents. I know it, it's hard not to right? like the parts of your childhood that didn't work to resent your parent, even as an adult in your thirties, forties, fifties, how do you approach that resentment? Like, how do you say to yourself, okay, I need to move forward from this. This is, you know, the things that you're, let's say your mom or whoever does, you know, how can you move forward through that resentment? I mean, I have my ways on how I'm dealing with it, but I know we've spoken about this just to kind of say, I need to move forward and live my life and parent my kid without that noise, if you will. I've had an immense amount of time to reflect on it. And yes, there's a lot of things that I would say I was very angry about. But the way that I found solace is that I realized and I came to the conclusion that we as human beings are all flawed in some Mm -hmm. way or shape or form. I'm flawed. You're flawed. Ryan's going to have flaws. Our parents were flawed. Mm -hmm. But what I do know and what I do realize is that my parents did the best they could with what they had in front of them. Yeah, And that's not just financial resources, that's psychological resources, that's traumas that were passed down to them from their parents that they had no control over, and all of those things. Their own growing pains were pains that I, just by the virtue of being born to them, had to endure myself. And when I started to tell myself, when I started to say it in that way, I started to develop a sense of empathy for them Mm -hmm. that I knew that what they were doing was not intentionally meant to harm me. They just did not have the tools, the resources, the experience, the know-how on how to raise two children in a new country that they've just moved to for the first time without any of their family nearby. And so 
I'm reminded that they did the best that they could with whatever knowledge and resources they had. And that has allowed me to come to peace with my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I could hold on to a lot of anger and resentment towards my parents, rightfully so. I choose the other direction. I choose to be empathetic and I choose to love uh, because I know that they were just two human beings trying to figure it out and doing mm-hmm. the best that they could. And it wasn't pretty by any measure at all. And I think if you spoke to my brother, he would 100% agree. It wasn't mm-hmm. pretty. It wasn't ideal. It wasn't what I would consider to be like an ideal fun childhood that I look right. back on with fond memories. No, I look back with pretty bad memories. And that's stuff that I'm still working through with my therapist on healing a lot of those wounds that I had as a child. But I don't hold my parents hostage or responsible for any of that. Yes, as a child, I was helpless. But as Mm -hmm. an adult, now it's my responsibility to deal with those things and to figure them out and to fix them. That's exactly it. And that last statement, because you look back and you don't have a lot of fond memories. I do have positive memories, but I had a father who yelled and was angry and slapped me. And, you know, this is a very common thing. Corporal punishment is the lingo that we talk about it, but yes, I was slapped across my face when I wasn't behaving. And up until I was in like junior high. So I have memories of this and it really affected me to the point where I knew that when I became a pediatrician, that it would be my mission to educate parents on why corporal punishment, why slapping is not helpful. And of course I'll do a whole other episode, but also on a personal level, how I did not want to do this for my own son. And we've spoken about this, right? Like, I'm going to be very honest here. Like when we had Shiloh, our puppy and, Oh, I'm getting a little emotional and misty here. Um, when we had Shiloh, I, I saw that anger coming, right? I saw that desire to want to slap Shiloh because that's all I knew. I knew that when you're get angry, you slap because that's what I grew up with. And I remember telling you that I don't like that feeling that that's not something that I want, especially for my, a dog, but also when I have a child and I worked on that and I'm actually very proud of the work we've both done, but I do want to speak about that, that undoing that cycle that cycle of anger and yelling. And yes, you're right. You, you said it, that we're both working on things. Yeah. I still yell. Sometimes I still get angry. I still do things that I don't want to do in the next 20 years, but I'm working on that because I'm human. But what I will say is that the slapping has not happened. And to me, that is a huge progress that I'm not bringing that into my home because that was not something pleasant. I hold on to that. And like you said, when I actually told my dad and you know, this, like when I was pregnant with Ryan, I approached him and I told him, that, hey, look, when you did this when I was younger, it really hurt me. And I'm not asking for anything. I just want you to know that it hurt me. And I talk about this in episode 107. For anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, I talk about how forgiveness is so important in healing. And forgiveness is not forgiving what was done to you. Because I know some of you listening may have gone through extremely traumatic incidents, more than what me and my husband are talking about on this episode. Things that I see as a pediatrician that how, how can you forgive? You are not forgiving the action. You are not forgiving what was done to you. You are forgiving so that you can release that control that person or that perpetrator has over you so that you can move on with your life. And listen to episode 107 when I explain the power of forgiveness. But I forgave my dad. I said, look, I forgive you, you know, and I told him how I felt and I didn't expect anything in return. It was just, I need you to know how I feel. And that's it. And that allowed me that when I had a son, you know, when we had our son, Ryan, and I grew and he has these moments where the, the stress bubbles up in me and I, I want to yell and I want to cry. And in a situation that my dad would have probably slapped me, 
I'm not. And I feel so proud of that change. But a lot of it was through forgiveness of the past and saying, hey, look, this is not happening now. I'm going to move forward. And like you said, I am now responsible for the work. I can't go and say, well, you did this to me. This is why I'm like this, you know, to my parents. That's not going to help anybody, right? They're not actively responsible for me anymore. I'm an adult. Obviously, I'm married. I have a son. And we got to do the work. And that's an uncomfortable truth for a lot of people. People want to place blame. And it doesn't mean that, of course, we all understand. Like, I'm talking to you. You've gone through a very traumatic childhood. We don't even, we haven't even cracked the surface. And I don't think we need to on what happened. Um, And it's easy to say, well, I'm like this because of this. You know, I'm this way because of this. But then we also have to say, okay. I am in control of my emotions. I'm in control of my circumstances now. And I have to choose how I approach the situation. And in this conversation that me and you are having, it's how are we going to approach parenting our son with all of the wounds, the scars, the good, the bad that we have had in the last 30 something years of being a human being on this earth. And yes, to be honest, a lot of it comes from childhood. And that's why I'm so passionate about this podcast and this platform I have, because I do believe that a lot of it comes from the time that we are parents and, you know, we were children and it is important that we recognize this and say, how can I make this a better experience? And you said it perfectly that it's all about doing the work. It's all about understanding that we want to be better than past generations, right? We want to do things better, make things where children feel their worth, that they feel that they are capable. I mean, that I think is our parenting goals that you can agree with that. I want Ryan to know that he's worthy, that he's capable. And if he doesn't know how to handle something, he always has me and you behind his back always as he goes out into this world and navigates PK two or, you know, in the future in college, like that is my dream for him, that he is capable and confident in what he knows, but knows that mom and dad are there if he needs it. And that is what I define as like my parenting goal. And I know we share that because it's such beauty when you get to see that. And it took a lot of work to get here, you know, a lot of work in the last, I will say 10 years of knowing you that I've done this work, which is why I'm so excited that you joined me on these podcast episodes so people can hear all the things me and you have talked about and the work in progress that we are. And I can't wait for you to come on again, because I know we have so much more that we can talk about. Well, um, I will say, and I'll reiterate, everything that you've said is 100% accurate. It's when we do that internal reflection and heal those wounds in ourselves that we can then, you know, parent to the best of our abilities. And that's all we can really ask for, right? Is to parent to the best of our abilities and give our children the opportunities to thrive and to grow um, as they move forward and not let our own insecurities hold us and our children back. And and that's what's really important. And like you said, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of reflection. Everyone has the capability of doing it. And uh, I think just everybody that's listening, just be reminded that you're doing a great job. We're all doing the best we can right now. We can all improve in certain aspects. That's 100% sure. That's for certain for myself and for you, I'm sure, Mona. But we're all on this journey together. And it's resources like this and podcasts like this that are part of 
somebody doing the work and I'm glad to be a part of it. I was excited to come back on and I hope you will have me on again at some point. <laughs> of course. Um, I don't know. If I'll get a, I don't, I don't know if I'll get a third date, but I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'll have my people call your people and send you a zoom invite, but um, no, seriously, I, I, like I said, if you have not listened to episode 122, we recorded that together about marriage. Uh, I just love having Gaurav on because one, you all don't really see him on my Instagram. I don't really show him. He's not very visible. Um, and he works, you know, as an ER doctor, but also just from personal choice. And I respect that, but it's nice to be able to talk about these things that I just really feel are so important in marriage, in parenting, in self-growth. And so again, thank you so much for doing this. And for everyone listening, Please listen to episode 122, like I said. And if you really love this episode, make sure to write a review, call out my husband's episode, say that you really loved it, what you loved about this episode in particular. If you love the Finding Joy series or anything about this podcast, you have to make sure you leave a review and share it on your Instagram stories and tag me, Pete's Dog Talk, so I can reshare it uh, because I love sharing this message with the world. and my husband's message with the world as well. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.